Well, good morning again. It's good to be back in Madison after some time away visiting with my family back in New York. Um, it is also, uh, for some of us in this room, it is uh, the season of March Madness. How's your bracket doing? That bad, okay. Um, let's not go there. Let's talk about the uh, church season that we're in, uh, Lent. As we've already been reminded, we are uh, in the middle of this season, preparation for uh, really the highlight of the church calendar year of Easter that is coming up uh, now in three weeks. Uh, and as you are, um, as you're engaged in Lent, um, may, I, may I present a challenge for you in your daily uh, prayer time um, that speci especially during uh, the season of Lent, might you be more cognizant and prayerful of those in your circles at work, your neighbors, maybe some community clubs that you might be a part of, uh, those that do not yet know Christ. May, may I challenge you this morning to uh, specifically and intentionally be praying for your friends and neighbors uh, during this season. Uh, and, and not only praying for their salvation, but for their good. Um, for their health, for their welfare. Um, and as you're doing that, may I also challenge you uh, to prayerfully consider yourself um, inviting some of your friends on Easter Sunday uh, here to a worship service. If there is a uh, service during the calendar year that someone who is not currently a follower of Jesus might entertain actually participating in, uh, obviously Christmas would be one. But Easter is another. Uh, it's, an, it's an easier ask uh, to those of our friends who are, who, are not, uh, who are not followers of Jesus to invite them to uh, a, a service where we will hear and celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. And just as a, a little preview of that, just so you're aware, um, that sermon that day will actually be very intentional about considering um, the legitimacy and the reasonableness of actually believing that the bodily resurrection of Jesus of Nazareth is the best explanation for what happened in the first century in Palestine. Um, not only for those outside of the faith will I be, um, that be part of this sermon, but for you as well as a believer. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15 that if Jesus didn't raise from the dead, your faith is futile. My faith is futile. We are wasting our time. <laughs> and so from time to time, if I don't know if you're like me, but from time to time, my faith gets rattled. Difficult times come. They're stressful. They're anxiety-ridden seasons of life. And um, just to let you in a little bit in my personal life, in those times that I experience when I am down, when times are a little darker, I actually go back and study the resurrection. I study the evidence, I study the arguments for the resurrection because, if, because I'm, I, I agree with Paul. <laughs> Whereas Martin Luther said, justification is the doctrine on which the church stands or falls. Paul made the argument that the resurrection didn't happen. This is all in vain anyway. So that is my, that is my encouragement and challenge to you, um, both to be praying for your friends and neighbors, but also challenging you and you, yourself to perhaps even extend an invitation, and not just to a service, but perhaps even to lunch afterwards, 
uh, to experience some fellowship in that. Enough of Easter. We can, we'll get to Easter later. Let's come back to our sermon series on the Beatitudes. We started this several weeks ago, and we entitled the sermon series, The Paradox of Human Flourishing, uh, because the way that Jesus describes the character of those who follow him seems very paradoxical. Uh, it seems counterintuitive to the way that you and I are used to thinking and assuming that life works. And as he's beginning his Sermon on the Mount, before Jesus gets to specifically the conduct of his followers, he first starts by describing the heart and the inner character of those who would follow him and lead a life under his reign and his kingdom. Two weeks ago, we looked at blessed are the poor, and we said that those are the ones who know that they are absolutely dependent on God and his mercy and his sustaining grace. It's not that the poor in spirit are self-loathing, but rather simply that they have an honest assessment of themselves and their spiritual bankruptcy before God. And then last week, Cam preached on blessed are those who mourn. Uh, it's actually those who look at the ways that their own sin has done damage to themselves and others, and also those who look around at this world and their life circumstances, and as they experience loss in a host of ways due to a range of reasons, they mourn. They mourn. You see, I would make the case that in, in when you and I experience sorrow or loss in this life, we basically have three responses. There are three ways we can respond. We can either respond by ignoring it, just getting on with life, staying distracted, getting busy, filling up the spaces so we don't have to acknowledge the pain of the loss. Secondly, we might choose to simply complain, become cynical. <laughs> Stuff happens. Oh, well. Guard your heart and your affections more closely so that next time the loss won't hurt as much. But there's a third way, as Cam pointed out last week, that Jesus invites his followers to in the Beatitudes, and that is to mourn, to lament, to grieve. You see, if we simply ignore or cynically complain, there's, there's no possibility for comfort and healing that our souls desperately long for in the reality of the brokenness of this world. And Jesus offers comfort via his way when we experience specific moments of loss that calls us to come to grips with and recognize that things are not the way they're supposed to be in this life. And we feel the internal pain and weight of living in a fallen world and we grieve. And let me pause just for a second, because in a lot of ways, Res Prez is right now a community, a tale of two cities. Each of you, each of us, has reason right now sitting here today to mourn. But the reasons and circumstances are not synonymous across the board within this community of faith. And may I just acknowledge that many of you here today Having said goodbye to your pastor, your leader, your friend, was really hard. And in some ways, it still hurts. 
For many others of Res Prez, that feeling of pain over the loss of a pastor is not a loss that you are currently feeling or experiencing. Many of you here this morning, your loss, as you have perhaps recently transitioned to Madison, is a loss of familiarity with where you came from, a loss of friendships that you had to say goodbye to as you moved here for school or for a job. But at the end of the day, all of us, whether we've been a part of Res Press for many years or been part of Res Press for a shorter period of time, nevertheless, all of us have reason to accept Jesus' invitation to mourn rather than ignore our losses on the one hand or become cynical because of them on the other. And Jesus offers comfort to those who genuinely mourn. And this morning we come to the third beatitude. And perhaps this is the most paradoxical we've come across thus far. Jesus says, blessed are those who are meek. Or, you may hear me interchange meek with gentle, the same concept. Blessed are those who are meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And it seems that those in life that arrive at places of great power and influence didn't get there because they were meek. Actually, very much the opposite. And yet we must assume when Jesus says, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth, he meant what he said. So let us this morning consider what it is that Jesus would have us to learn about those who are meek. Before we do that, will you pray with me one more time as we ask him to be present with us in this, during this time. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do ask now that however we find ourselves sitting here this morning, whether we have come into this place celebrating, we are in a season where Life is actually going pretty well for us. Or whether we are in a season where we are grieving, lamenting, we have lost, we are hurting, we are saddened, and we are mourning. Whether our faith this morning as we have walked into this place is strong or whether we are, if truth be told, just trying to figure out if these things can actually be true that we're hearing that we're interacting with. Jesus, however we find ourselves here this morning, would you meet us and would you convince us that it is no accident that we find ourselves sitting here in a worship service on a Sunday morning? Help us believe that you have arranged it for us to be here right now, not because the person sitting in the mic has anything special or great to say, but because you, Jesus, have something to say. So by your spirit, speak to us for your servants are listening. We pray this for Christ's sake. Amen. Blessed are those who meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Now, meekness, I'm guessing, is uh, not something that any of us ever wake up in the morning and say, today I'm striving for meekness. Today I want to be meek. That's the quality I want to see cultivated in my life. I don't know of a single resolution that's ever been made on New Year's Day. This year, I am going to be meek. <laughs> in fact, if you refer to another human being, if you characterize them, 
describe them as being me, most likely in their presence, they would most likely be offended <laughs> and insulted. And that's because meekness sounds to us at first glance like weakness. Weakness. And certainly not something that's desirable as a quality to pursue. But what Jesus is talking about here is not at all weak. Meekness is not about being a doormat. Meekness does not mean spineless. It doesn't entail simply taking abuse from others. And nor is meekness a type of personality trait. In other words, having a personality or natural disposition that resists rocking the boat, resists speaking up, resists sticking out, is also not what meekness is about. Simply having a natural tendency to be quieter or less conspicuous about how one goes about their life is not the same thing with what Jesus means when he says, blessed are the meek. And the reason we know this is because in Matthew 11, the same word translated here, meekness, is used by Jesus to describe himself. Jesus says in Matthew 11, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me, for I am gentle. I am meek. I am lowly in heart. And by doing that, you will find rest for your souls. And this same Jesus, who's the same yesterday, today, and forever, who describes himself as meek, is also the same Jesus who expressed his anger when little children were kept from coming to spend time with him. The same Jesus who describes himself as meek is the same one who spoke very harsh words of woe to the religious leaders who were more concerned about maintaining their positions of power than in actually shepherding God's people. The same Jesus who describes himself as gentle when he saw Gentiles and those from other nations not being able to pray and worship in the temple was so angry that he took the time to make, to fashion, to shape a whip of cords, according to John, and then enter the temple, emptied the registers of all their precious metal coins, literally overturned tables, and drove the money changers out of the court of the Gentiles. Not something that likely showed up on a Sunday school flannel board when you were little. What this tells us, therefore, if Jesus says, I am meek, is that meekness certainly doesn't mean, can't mean, spineless or weakness or even inconspicuousness. So what is it? <laughs> well, first of all, we need to note that at first glance, we might think that to be meek is simply another way of saying poor in spirit, which we've already covered. And certainly they are related, but Jesus assumes that they're two different things, or he would not have taken the time to note them as two separate things. You see, whereas to be poor in spirit is primarily about one's posture before God, 
and then has implications for how one interacts with others. Meekness is primarily about one's posture before and with other human beings at its core. So whereas poor in spirit is about how I relate to God vertically, meekness is more about how I relate to others horizontally. And so we can say that it's one thing to be able to be honest and forthright and humble privately before God. But it's quite another thing to retain humility in our interactions with others, especially when we are challenged by others for ways they see in us that we are engaging in selfish and dehumanizing ways. Notice how John Stott describes this in the reflection that's in your, printed in your bulletin at the beginning. Stott says this, I myself am quite happy <laughs> to recite the general confession in church and call myself a miserable sinner. It causes no great problem. I can take it in my stride. But let somebody else come up to me after church and call me a miserable sinner, and I want to punch him on the nose. <laughs> He's English, by the way. In other words, I am not prepared to allow other people to think or speak of me what I have just acknowledged before God that I am. There's a basic hypocrisy here, Stott continues. In fact, there always is when meekness is absent. And so the one who is meek is able to acknowledge one's shortcomings, not only personally and privately with God, but with others as well. The meek are quick to own up to their feelings when they're confronted and resist responding defensively when their sin is identified. But meekness is not only a posture one has in response to their sin. You see, those who are meek are also not defensive about their own reputation or even their own significance. The meek that Jesus is describing here do not feel the urge to constantly be proving their value to others. They aren't seeking recognition for their contributions. And it's not that meek people are not assertive. It's that they don't feel compelled to be self-assertive. When I was a freshman in college, I met a guy at RUF who was in grad school and having a conversation with him, learned in the conversation that he was a tennis player. And I said to him, oh, we should, I, I enjoy playing tennis. I said, oh, we ought to play tennis sometime. He literally la laughed in response, and I kid you not, said this to me. <laughs> That's funny. That would be like me asking Michael Jordan to play one-on-one. -on -one. Ironically, two years later, I learned that that individual had actually gone on a date with my now wife, Jen, when they were in school together at Clemson University. Go Tigers. But I'm not surprised that, in fact, it was simply a date singular, not dates plural. 
Now, that's an obvious example of what meekness is not. But most of us are not quite so obvious <laughs> with our lack of meekness. You know, I've heard before that meekness, perhaps you've heard this as well. I honestly don't know where it came from, but I've heard it several times. One way to describe meekness is strength under control. Or we might say power or influence under control. And in fact, employed in the service of the good of those around us. Again, it's not that meekness is not assertive. It's that those who are meek are not self-assertive. And so in this respect, meekness is actually the opposite of abuse of power. Those that are in positions and relationship of power or influence are always tempted to use that power or influence to serve themselves and even their own selfish pleasures and interests. But the one who is meek and in a position of power or influence resists the urge to use that position of power for their own ends. Rather, they purposefully use that platform to seek the welfare and justice of those with less access to power and influence. Because the meek don't feel a need to manipulate a situation a certain way to ensure a certain outcome, even if it's a good and appropriate outcome. The meek are not hurried. They are not cajoled into responding a certain way. They don't need to get revenge when their ego is slighted. They don't need the last word because they're slow to speak and they're quick to listen. Not because they're afraid to speak, but because they don't need to prove themselves by speaking. And that is because for the meek that Jesus is describing here, all of life to them is a gift. The meek go through life with a settled sense of gratitude for all that they have. They carry no presumption that they deserve everything that they have simply due to their own isolated, industrious efforts. You know, it's easy to applaud ourselves and our actions for thinking that we make it in life simply because of what we bring to the table. We work hard. We remain diligent. We show up. We have certain skills. We, therefore, deserve what we get. But the reality is, at the end of the day, 99% of the time when you and I make it, however we define that, when we end up with that job or we enjoy a certain level of success, the truth is, the reality is, others were somehow involved in the process. <laughs> That ought to cause us to not overestimate how much we have attained in life due simply to our own efforts. Think of the person who made that first introduction for you to someone else. Think of the person that gave you that reference. Think of that conversation you had randomly <laughs> that time that led down a path to get you where you are. In the end, when we're honest with ourselves, no one is exclusively a self-made man or woman. What we attain and experience in life is a result of much more than simply our own personal contribution. And the meek are very much well aware of that and live life fully cognizant 
of that reality. But mostly, the meek seek to be content and fully alive with exactly where God has them at any given moment. There's a prayer I recently came across in a biography about St. Patrick of Ireland. And I think it's a very good description of the posture of meekness. It's actually a prayer for meekness, though it never actually uses that terminology. It goes like this. Father, I pray that you may grant me the ability to be what you created me to be. No greater, no smaller, no better, no worse but that I may accept my right size and station in the world while being of humble and willing service to others in my life. Father, grant me the freedom from ego and false pride that blocks me in relationship with others to whom I would be of help. That's a prayer for meekness. To accept my right size and station in the world and a freedom from ego and false pride. And it's important to note that the very act of praying for meekness acknowledges something vitally crucial. And that is, meekness is not something that we simply do on our own. Remember, Jesus says his kingdom is not of this world. And that means, at the very least, that any characteristics of his kingdom that seem to us paradoxical of the kingdoms of this world are most likely going to have to come from outside of the kingdoms of this world. Meekness or gentleness is actually among the fruit of the Spirit. It's born within those who come to Jesus by faith to follow him. And they come from the Holy Spirit himself. It's birthed. It's given. It's not acquired on its own. And that actually leads us to the fact, the final point, that Jesus says that those who are meek are the ones who will inherit the earth. Again, the meek, really? Now, yes, it is true that many, if not most, who are at the very top of the apex of power, whether that be politically in governance, economically in the business world, or even leaders in the church, do get there. Many get there because of a lot of posturing and self-assertion. It's true. However, those that get there that way are also the most prone to fall all the harder. And that's because their rise to power and fame was really built on top of a house of cards. People were used and manipulated along the way. And when they stumble, when they mess up, it can be really, really ugly, and a lot of people can get hurt. And in that respect, they never really had their position of power. Jesus says specifically and intentionally that the meek inherit 
the earth. Those that rise through manipulation and self-assertion didn't inherit anything. They took. And often they took from others who were unaware of what was happening in the moment. But those that are meek and end up rising in power get there not because they manipulated, not because they took, but because they were given and they received. In other words, they inherited. And Jesus says elsewhere, even further, that those who are faithful with a little will be given even more responsibility in his kingdom. And that has ramifications both now and in the new heavens and the new earth when his kingdom is fully engaged. And so the meek are blessed, Jesus can say, and they flourish because they inherit the earth. And how does one inherit anything? Again, it's given. To be an heir is not something you do or earn on your own. It's a gift. There's nothing you can do to receive it. And furthermore, to become an heir, to inherit anything, usually requires the death of the one from whom you receive the gift. And that's certainly the case with the meek. It requires the death of their Savior to inherit. They know they don't get anything by doing something to prove that they deserve what they receive. And Jesus says, offers to us, a path there. How might we embrace Jesus by faith, receive, allow this meekness to begin to grow within us? Jesus, we've already looked at the passage, gives us the path. He says, learn from me. He says, I am meek. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. And the image there is of a, of a yoke that would have been used a, a, with, with two different ox. You would take a yoke, you would take an ox that had fully been broken in, <laughs> was fully trained, and you would yoke them to another ox that was new, immature, young, restless. And by being yoked to that other ox, the younger, immature ox would learn what they were to learn in order to fully function as a productive ox. And Jesus is saying, I am meek. Learn from me. Take my yoke upon you. Hitch yourself to me. Because at the end of the day, my brothers and sisters, Jesus demonstrates meekness on an eternal scale. As we're told in Philippians, that he did not see equality with God, something to be grasped. But he humbled himself, became a servant. That you and I might know what it is to inherit the kingdom of heaven, to be part of his community of faith, to follow him. Hitch your yoke to him. Take his yoke upon you. Learn from him because he is truly meek. Let's pray.
Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have given us your word. Even oftentimes as we interact with your word, it does not make sense based on our own personal life experiences. Jesus, help us. Give us the courage, give us the faith to trust that you do know best what makes us tick. You do know best what a life of flourishing looks like. Both even now in this life, first fruits, but then ultimately in the new life, in the new heavens and the new earth that you are recreating even now. As you are making all things new, as your kingdom is bursting forth into the, into the kingdoms of this world, which are broken, which are unjust, which do not create systems of thriving and flourishing for most. But Jesus, help us to trust. Help us to have the courage to believe and the faith to believe that you do offer abundant life if we were to follow you and to pursue this type of character to be meek, to give up our own agendas and follow you. Jesus, give us that courage and that faith, either for the first time or a renewed sense, even today. And we pray this for your sake. Amen. Would you now stand with me?